This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI-audio's on-air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the last of the audio-only Kelly and Company shows. The last of the Kelly and Company shows, as branded that way here on AMI-audio or out there, folks. Um, Let's look back here for a moment as we stop and say, oh, wow. This is after six years and one one and a half months. Uh, The episodes amount at this point uh, is 1,462, 1,462. That's what today is. A huge accomplishment to the team of Kelly and company. And a big thanks to AMI for obviously letting us uh, letting us get a chance to get out here, play and have fun. To those listeners via podcast that enjoy checking us out around the world, a huge thanks to you. But we've got lots to say about that stuff. We will get into more of it through the show. But 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 folks, as usual, we're here Monday to Friday to do a show and lots of great content ahead. Uh, Brock Richardson's been sitting in with me through the week as well as Danielle McLaughlin and him have had a couple of kicks at uh, doing the show uh, while other things were going on. And we will also mention that so many things are in the works over the next few weeks as we get into TV testing time. Um, New for us, those of us who have not uh, sat here and done a live show. My work, as many of you know, originally came from doing TV, Brock, uh, when I was doing uh, AMI This Week. And the first reporter really for AMI full-time national reporter which uh, took me into AMI this week took me into blindsided the series that uh, I was in on producing and playing host to and getting a chance to do many different things that that uh, and meeting all sorts of people and a bit of documentary work as we know that uh, Grant and Alex and those who uh, were most recently on the TV side had an opportunity to do Uh, as mentioned Brock Richardson with me today yeah, I I haven't been shy to say this in different ways this week, whether it's on the program or in the vanity card. Uh, this program, as it's named, Kelly and Company, is the reason, not one of the reasons, the reason I have what I have. When I started it uh, with the roundtable and far beyond, and then it developed beyond that, it's just given me so much, and so. For me to be here on the final week and the final uh, day of Kelly and Company as it's branded, it's just been such an honor. And and I'll open up to the audience. You know, at a certain point yesterday doing the roundtable, Brock Richardson had to hold himself together because I I noticed that it was, I noted that it was my favorite uh, segment and it was, and it almost sort of felt like, it was sort of poetic for me as being, you know, my favorite segment and being able to put a rap on Kelly and company on audio and being able to do that. And thank you as my mentor and friend for all that you've done. And it's just been such an honor, but something Kelly that I thought of um, earlier in the week that I wanted to bring up at, at, at a certain point was the fact that this show is called Kelly and company. And obviously you are Kelly McDonald and I want to ask you, what is that like for you having it, your name 
be, for lack of a better word, the the focal point of the show. First of all, sir, uh, I've gotten lots of compliments on the roundtable yesterday that yourself, Danielle, and Margaret partook in, and it was just tremendous um, hearing people say nice things and how they felt about it, and and, uh, I think maybe people could feel that emotion. Brock, that is probably one of the most complimentary things a person could could have bestowed upon them when it comes to those of us in in the broadcast field. Um, When it was first pitched by John Melville, Let's call the show. And most of us had gone through all this naming. We had a whole bunch of show names that we were going over, weeded them down, and then John just says, you know what, I'd like to call it. Now, being a Londoner, I remember a show from Michigan, uh, Detroit, back when I was a kid called Kelly and Company. So it was kind of ironic, and I kind of giggled. It was on one of the Detroit TV stations. But for me, it was when it was said, and a few people stopped and said, well, hold on, though. Doesn't that create problems for down the road? What about the co-host? And uh, Sharon Caddy being the co-host as we kicked the show off back then over six years ago. Um, you know, very much a, a professional, of course, just happy to be working and getting the opportunity. I was happy to get the opportunity and hoped that the work I had done on AMI-TV would be part of that reason people would tune in and say, oh, I know that clown. Let's see what he's doing. Listen to him for two hours. Oh, I don't know about that. Um, You know, I really hoped that that was what it was about. And I think part of that was to cover off the fact that I was certainly abashed, certainly humbled in having the show with my name in it. It took a huge, well, put on my back that responsibility to make sure to do what I can to carry out a wonderful show be surrounded by wonderful, talented people who brought so much to it and being given the opportunity to make a show that two low vision or blind hosts could could handle and bring content to the audience, keeping in mind that most of us with disabilities don't want to sit there and listen to disability talk day in and day out. That really amped up the responsibility for myself and this whole team that has become Kelly and Company. The other thing, Brock, as we look at today, the final show, 1462, as a matter of fact, in numbering, is this isn't the end of the program. We're changing the name. We're moving to TV. That's it. That's it. We're still the same show. You out there are still that company and forever will be. And that is really one of the trickiest things about doing a show like this. It's nice to look back as you guys did yesterday on the roundtable, as we will do a little bit today on the show. But the key is to remember, this is just chapter one, closing. You're whipping open the next page, which is chapter two, beginning. There is still a long book on this program ahead. We change the name to Kelly and Rumya. We return on January 9th after today's show. Uh, And you can find us on the TV if you so choose. You can settle right back in here and listen to the show the same way you always have or on podcast. And keep in mind, Andy Frank has uh, repeat content for you available starting on Monday and on the 23rd. Our traditional Christmas show in its form will come at you too. So that gift to you. All of these things, Brock, really are what really make what this show is and get us that chance to to experience. And, and again, we will share a little later on in the program a bit more. But Brock, we've got a show today to do um, and looking forward to it as we do the last Kelly and Company audio show. Yeah, I've often said and as others have that have sat in, you know, my proverbial co-hosting chair is that uh, things things come at you. You know, I said yesterday we went from gardening to sports, and that's just 
the way that this show is. And today is no different. We're going to be running the gamut as we do on Fridays and having fun. All the old circus cliche comes into play here, folks. The show must go on and we shall end. We will continue to be here after our little hiatus, uh, of course, in the new year as we pick up the ball and continue to run with you at our side and very much obliged to have you there. Let's take a look here. What's coming up? Oh, boy, lots of good stuff. A normal Friday edition. We are swinging open the gateway to your weekend and running episode 1462 your way. This is Kelly and company. Brock Richardson and I will return with Margaret Weldon, who will bring us the latest trending headlines. Reach out to this guy over on Twitter at uh, NeutralZoneBR. It's a wonder I don't screw that up, Brock. I'm sorry. I, I always catch uh-huh. myself. It's, that is right. Oh, wow. It is. I'm at AMI Kelly Mac. Of course, the handle for AMI Audio is at AMI Audio. So if you want to uh, follow us along on Twitter, appreciate it. Keep the conversation going. And check out Accessible Media Inc.'s Facebook page. You can learn a lot of different things over there. See some video content. That's the Facebook page. You can like it if you choose, but certainly return to it and check it out. That's the Accessible Media Inc. Facebook page. And, of course, you can always uh, send an email asking your questions. Feedback at AMI.ca. Feedback at AMI.ca in which uh, you might want to know something from the communications or marketing departments about things going on. At AMI. Brock Richardson with me today. I'm Kelly McDonald. On your Friday, welcome to Kelly and Company as we also welcome Margaret Weldon, who joins us now, one of our backup co hosts on the show. And of course, you know her from our In the Know segment. Grant Hardy is away today. So, Margaret brings to us some uh, lifestyle headlines. How's it going, Max? Welcome back. Thank you. I was just talking to my sister a few minutes ago, and I said to her, I have to go because I've got to do, do two segments on the show today. And she said, Again? Why don't you have uh, Why don't you have standing by a cash register sound effect? So when she says that, she just hears the old Pink Floyd cash register going. Oh, I never thought about doing that. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that would really fix her. She'd be like, "Oh, all right, don't be funny. Get off the phone." Yeah, (laughs) never mind. I'm telling. That's That's awesome. Megs, where are we starting today? Okay, so let's start with um, longevity of men. I, 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 thought, I thought that might be a good Friday topic today. I don't know why I just kind of thought that would be. And actually, it was a, there's, there's apparently was a study done by um, some people from, the, from, Amer, from an American medical gen, journal. I was going to say an American med, medical gen, general, but no, it's journal, um, who looked at some of the important factors that men – um, should maybe pay attention to have and to not have if they want to live long and have healthy lives past 80. And some of the factors that um, they say would prevent men from living past 80, well, actually, like, like healthy lives we're talking here, past right. 80, are things like being overweight, having high triglycerides, high insulin levels because of blood sugar or diabetes, and high blood pressure. And they say that if you have, um, you know, these, these kinds of things, chances are you might make it to 80 years of age, but 
you might not be healthy and you may not be happy. You might have a lot of pain. You might have a lot of aches and things like that. Yes. Now, some of the factors that they say um, do contribute toward happy and healthy lives for men are things like um, a strong grip. Apparently, if you have a strong grip when you hand, you know, when you give somebody a handshake, apparently that's supposed to be a sign of good fitness. I didn't hmm. know that. I just um, figured, like, you know. Yeah, it's one of those things that traditionally, you know, men come out and give a big hearty, you know, it's supposedly going to say something about the kind of person you are, right, as a how more manly you are. Um, but that's interesting that they're looking at it and acquainting that with, um, being in shape. Um, but I, I think we'll always find that to that. But that to me follows along, Margaret, you, the stereotypical heavy handed, hard shaking hand, uh, shake person is loud. How are you? Yeah. yeah, I kind of think that way too, actually. Yeah. <laughs> or, they, or they seem like, like to boast or something. I, I don't know. Um, yeah. Some of the other uh, positive things are um, to just to have low blood sugar is to not be overweight and um, getting a good education. But here's a really positive one that surprised me. Getting married can help men oh. live happier, healthy lives over 80 years of age. That's fascinating. So were there thoughts as to at what point in life one should be getting married? I mean, I understand the educational thing keeps your mind going, keeps you hopefully uh, with a thirst to learn new things and stuff like that if you keep the mind stimulated. Uh, was there a, a time where it didn't matter? Like, can somebody saying, I'm 75, I'm going to go and get married because that'll help me live longer. <laughs> well, as, yes, as, far as, uh, as far as some of these physical health things, they were saying if you have you know, some of the positive healthy things when you're 50 years of age, um, you, you know, it, it's, it's usually a good indication that, that you're going to live past 80 and you're going to be healthy men. But as for things like getting married or getting a good education, no, they never did say a specific age for that. But I mean, I, I think really with anybody, men or women, when you have an education, like when you're living life, you're learning something all the time, aren't you? Right. So it's kind of like you're, you're if you're if you're out there, I mean, look at all the things, as, as you just said in the first segment, uh, Kelly, about how all the experiences you've had over the last, you know, six years and, and one and a half months. Um, you know, you're, you're like life is an education. I, I, I would argue, I, I would argue with the marriage side of this. And I this is going to sound extremely cheesy and cliche but i'm i really think this is part of it when you find that person that you have things in common with it really negates that you know sitting at home uh feeling lonely and you could run into that whole depression and some people are okay being alone i'm not suggesting that everyone's in the same in the in the same box but I do I do think that if you have the right person and you're doing things with them, that helps you with your mental health, which then will help you with keeping everything, you know, low blood sugar, the that because you're also being motivated by another person. Whereas sometimes when you're by yourself, you may not necessarily be be as inclined to motivate yourself based on being alone. That's just my thoughts. But no, but you know what though, Brock? I, I had a, I had an interesting question around marriage because um, I actually did hear a talk show the other day that talked about people who are married versus people who are living together. And somebody said, and I'm not sure that I agree with this, but 
being, you know, you're you're married, maybe you've got some a, a different take on it. I don't know. But I had somebody say, you know, sometimes it makes a difference being married to a person rather than just living with a person because you're 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 working on goals to support each other. You're working on toward, you know trying to create a better life, and that can make you um, happier. Do you find do you find that yourself, or or, or uh, do you disagree with that? Uh, I don't know if I agree with. I don't know because realistically, and I'm not trying to you know push away the importance of marriage by by saying this because there are important reasons why one would or wouldn't get married but I think if you're already living together it really for me personally it hasn't changed much uh life didn't change all of a sudden because I'm married versus I'm not and so I don't know if I agree with that I think there's a difference if you are just living with someone and not necessarily committed committed but if you if you commit to each other and say we're going to do this as a unit, then to me, it wouldn't make that much of a difference. Right, right. That makes a lot, that makes a lot of sense, I think. Yeah. I, like, I, I mean, I, I mean, cause I, I used to have a partner, we used to, to live together and we never did get married, but I think, but I felt the same way that you did. Right. You know, we, we work towards positive goals. You're working toward a future. You're working toward bettering yourself and bettering the, the you know, life with, with yourself and that other person too. So. Yeah. Right. For sure. Um, yeah. Mag's next thing you want to get into. Okay, so the next thing now is let's talk about longevity and fiber. Now, part of the reasons, you know, some of the good reasons that we eat fiber um, is is to keep our, ourselves clean. And you know what? It, it also prevents us from getting things like heart disease and cancer, and um, it can even uh, prevent you from getting strokes um, to some degree. And the idea now is what they're saying is that the more fiber you eat, the less chance you have of getting a lot of these illnesses when you're older. It doesn't mean to say that you're going to have a 100% chance of, um, Avoid. getting, of, of avoiding these illnesses, but, but right. you're going to have a chance, a, a better chance. And what they're saying is that fiber can help people lose weight. Um, it, it helps kind of keep their systems cleaner. Um, if you are feeling good, you're looking good, you're wanting to get out, you're wanting to do more things, you're wanting to participate more in life. Some of the other things that they found in fiber, now I don't know, are, are, do you guys eat a lot of fiber? Do you, do you pay much attention to your diets? What about you? Can I, I don't start with you? eat enough fiber. I don't, no, I don't. I, I, my, my, my father was a big fiber person and really believed in it and 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 I think and I do totally agree because your system's made to move your system's made to work the way it's supposed to uh, and helping you get rid of products that are no good for your body of course um, that can't just sit there but mostly as we keep hearing um, get your blood moving get your body moving make it have to work uh, you know and 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 digest and stomach and gut health is so important so I totally believe in it. Do I eat enough fiber? Probably not. Um, I mean, I do have my cereal every day, uh, so but I I feel I could do better. Right. Without a right. Without without a doubt, I'm in the same boat. I mean, I don't go to the grocery store and purposely not look for fiber, but it's not like I'm standing in the aisles going, "Does this have enough fiber for me?" Um, <laughs> the, the the truth of the matter is no. Um, do I feel any different? I'm not sure because I'm not intentionally looking the other way either, as I said. So I know that I'm not getting enough fiber and I know there could be room for improvement. But I also um, 
you know, I take a bunch of probiotics because I'm one that just kind of uh, sits in a, in a wheelchair confined. I don't, I don't move a lot. And, you know, you hear those lovely commercials that say sitting is the new smoking. And it's like, oh, great. That's what I do with my everyday, you know. And so it's something that's not necessarily in my control, which we're going to talk later with about doing cut for time. But it's it's one of those things that, like, I don't consciously look for it, but I don't consciously not look for fiber either. And of course, it's a, and you know what? A lot of these products, and we and you know we get back to the um, the the old budgeting thing in the old grocery store, right? It's one of these adages where you know the the best things that you need to eat are so expensive, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Or but, like, we I get tired we... of them, Margaret. Right? I, and now that I think one of the things fiber falls under, or to get that fiber, we're having something along with it. We don't necessarily need. You have oatmeal pile on the brown sugar. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this this is a real great muffin. It's filled with fiber. Yeah. And people also associate fiber with like healthy and it doesn't taste that good. So like if you're going to look towards it, people want stuff that tastes good. Well, the truth is you can find stuff that tastes good. You just have to go looking for it. But sometimes the pocketbook doesn't allow for it. That's right. Yeah, that that's it. That's it. And we and it and it kind of gets us back to that budgeting. It kind of gets us back to that motivation. Anyway, what they're saying here is that um, men should have thirty grams of fiber a day, and women only need twenty-one grams of fiber a day. And just some examples of fiber here that they that they've done: um, a half a, a quarter cup of pitted prunes has got fiber in it. Now, now prunes are dried plums. For those of you who may not know exactly what prunes are. A half a cup of oatmeal has got fiber in it, and um, a lot of fruit, a lot of other fruits and vegetables. But apparently, one high source of fiber, which I don't know why it always surprises me when I hear it, is is beans. And yet, and beans seems to be a popular thing with people. I don't know why. Um, so that's you know, and and I mean, I'm the same way. I try to do my best and get fiber, but. It's it's like you said, Kelly. You know, you think, okay, well, this is a good thing, but yeah, let's put the sugar on it, or let's put the butter on it, or let's do this, or let's do that. So suddenly, something good becomes maybe something mm, not so good. So something you have your where it affects something else. But the beans, it's true. I've heard that too, Margaret, and constantly forget that that's that source. That having that little bit of beans, and it doesn't sound like you need a lot of it, but definitely consistently seems to be what wins the race when it comes to fiber. Uh, Mags, we'll be talking to you later on in the program during the buzz as you also fill in, not only for Grant today, but Billy. Awesome stuff. Thank you. All right. Talk to you a little later. Have a good show. Thank you. So we like to get together and talk on Wednesday's health uh, headlines, or as we we like to mention it now, sort of the trending topics. Uh, Margaret today did lifestyle with us, and we always get into those conversations here on the program. So uh, always have some fun on our Friday when we try to keep things a little light. Well, let's look ahead. It's the app update day as well. And coming up next, John Beeler is going to tell us about a new chat bot program by OpenAI. It has fascinating new abilities, folks. We'll get into that conversation with him in about two minutes right here on Kelly and Company.
Remember, on December 23rd at 2 p.m. Eastern, folks, our Holiday Kitchen Christmas party will be afoot. Check it out, our gift to you, the folks here at Kelly & Company. That program comes your way on December 23rd. Brock Richardson, Kelly McDonald, hosts of the show, hanging out with you today on your Friday, swinging open the gateway to the weekend, working our way through uh, the program. And let's check in with John Beeler. It's time for our weekly app update. And I think some interesting conversational pieces he's got on the table from us as he joins us from BC. Uh, John, welcome back. And here's an interesting decision that I must admit looking at it and saying, uh, okay, I mean, I know things always change. The more things change, they stay the same. But in a lot of cases, we are able to change technology enough to what we couldn't do last year, we might be able to do today. Uh, a new decision from the uh, European Commission will make airplane mode obsolete in the EU next year, allowing passengers to actually use data during flights. Wow. Let's, what's, what's the scoop on this one? Yeah, I, I would agree. It's a pretty big deal. You said it's something that we've never really been allowed to do unless you're using sort of the onboard Wi-Fi and it's you know usually quite slow. You can't stream Netflix or anything else like that. So what the EU is uh, basically has regulated is that come uh, summer of 2023, June, uh, airlines are going to be able to offer 5G service on their flights. So essentially, you're going to be using your phone like you are on the ground. They're going to use something called a Pico cell, which will actually then basically it'll connect your phone to a little micro 5G network, talk to a satellite, and then go down to a base station. And you're going to get some pretty good speeds. You're going to be able to stream your Netflix. You're going to be able to do video calling, play any apps or games you would normally do on, on the ground. Um, the only thing that's not clear to me is how much we're going to pay for this feature. Yes. Because it's not yes. going to just work, right? Because no. the airlines do have to put some hardware on there to do that. But in North America, they haven't really budged on this because even the 5G antennas that are being, or the cell towers that are being put up for 5G service across North America, there's still some debate that they may be in a similar range to interfere with navigational systems. Uh, they're very close uh, in the, the bands that they use. And so this will be an interesting test. But like we see a lot of times with stuff in the EU, generally it comes to North America afterwards. Well, that was the first thing I thought about. Uh, we go from having less than a year ago to, uh, hey, no way, man, this 5G stuff is creating problems for the airlines and a, a, a safety hazard around airports. Get it the heck out of there. And now over in Europe... Oh, no, no, we're going to use that to do, uh, uh, you know, what people want. And, yeah, you know, they're right. I mean, if people could have this access um, to be able to do this stuff, pick and choose the things you want, watch your Netflix or whatever, instead of the weird movie collection they might have on the plane, th it's a win-win. Or be able to do your work like you can on a, on a train or something scooting across the countryside, and especially in the U.S., where you have so many cities close together and a lot of that is done. This is an amazing thing to be able to do. But I, I just find it shocking, and I am appreciative as much as I think it would be great. And I know I'm not flying all the time where people who are saying, oh, yeah, get it here as soon as possible. I think it is something, John, we're best to wait and watch. Yeah. Uh, although it's interesting. Like, I kind of look at being on a, especially a long-haul flight, as time to unplug. Yes, so true. 
everyone's going to be on the phone with their kids and their families and stuff like that. So it could be a less relaxing flight. Well, and we never know how much is industry when things like, well, we're going to sit and wait. You know, we don't know about the in the background deals being made with the airlines saying, hold on a sec, the cost of this, how are we going to make our money? We, we know all often a lot of our delays are, okay, how is this going to work out best to my advantage? Absolutely. Uh Next one, this is an interesting one. Facebook is testing ways for people to verify their age on dating app using AI face screening. Tell me more. This sounds like a good thing just to verify that people are the age they say they are. Yeah, this is an interesting thing that, uh, like you you said, Facebook is currently testing uh, and the problem is they want to make sure that no one under the age of 18 is using the Facebook dating app. And so up until now, the way you would have to prove that you're of age would be to upload your uh, driver's license, passport, some kind of uh, government issued ID. But the new system will allow you to take a little quick selfie video of your face and send it up uh, to Facebook. And then Facebook uses a third party service which then uses AI to determine your age. And they claim a 99.65% accuracy rate. Although um, that's specifically for, let's say, 15 to 35-year-old people. Anybody older than that, it kind of starts to lose some of its um, uh, accuracy. And also it seems to have some problems identifying the age of some females and people of darker colors complexions. So it's a, it's not a perfect service, but it's an interesting way to sort sort of filter out um, the kids from the dating apps, but there's no word if they're going to use this to make sure that the 45 year old isn't masquerading as an 18 year old on the dating app. Yeah, that's, that would be the, the, the main question I'm sure. And you know, the, the thing is, is, as we know with the uploading licenses or government IDs, unfortunately, as much as I'd like to believe, you know, society doesn't do this. There are ways to, 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 you know, forge these types of things. So, I mean, I get, you know, if we're using AI as the example to do this, uh, this is good. My question would be, what if it, I mean, I hear you on the, you know, 90 plus rating uh, to do this, but what if this thing happens to get a situation wrong and somebody says hey but i am that old so it'll be interesting to kind of see what do they use as a second step verification if on that one or two percent chance that it does get it wrong and somebody says but i am this age of this person as opposed to them just saying nope sorry you don't belong here and off you go <laughs> yeah i i imagine that would probably revert to a human to uh verify the results but I can see it being problematic no matter what happens. For Not sure. to mention the privacy concerns about uploading a video of yourself. Um, right. What happens to that video? It's going to a third-party service. Meta's not exactly completely clean in this respect as far as uh, history of uh, abusing uh, users' content. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And again... <laughs> 
It's always the evolving, right? Um, John, let's take a look at something else a little interesting because OpenAI has opened a new chatbot that's been trained to give conversational answers to users uh, pertaining the questions they ask. Interesting. Yeah, this is something that literally just got turned on about a week ago, and it's called ChatGPT. And I have to say, it's one of the few pieces of technology that has literally got me excited in a way that I haven't seen since maybe I saw the internet for the first time. Wow. Because essentially what, wow. what this service is, is a trained um, uh, set of data models, and you can ask it to do almost anything. You can ask it to write a blog post about itself, and it'll write a 500-word blog post or however long you want blog post about itself, but you can also have it write a blog post about itself in a different language. You can have it write a blog post about itself in the style of a 40s wise guy. So he'll, they'll have all that sort of slang and that kind of stuff. And the really crazy thing, and this is where it's really actually getting um, almost scary, is that it will actually write code for programmers. So when I was testing this last night, Someone who's a web developer wanted to have some code that would basically let you animate a video on a web page. And that's literally all I asked it to do is write me some code that will animate a video on a web page. And it started to write the code. And the code is really good code. It's clean code. It's well documented. It shows you how it does everything. And that's all I've asked it to do is write me some code about this thing. And People are finding all kinds of different interesting ways of using this because this thing can write a business case for your company. It can write a marketing plan for your, for your product. It can write blog posts. It can write social media content. You just have to ask it in a conversational way almost anything. A lot of people are saying this could replace Google in the sense that it's just so conversational and you can just basically ask what you're thinking and it will be pretty good at coming up with a response that is mostly usable. Not all the code it writes is perfect. Not all the blog posts it writes are perfect, but at least it gets you like 80 or 90% of the way there. And then you just go in and have to clean it up a little bit, but your work is done. Imagine what this would do for like school essays. Wow. If you can get the AI to write an essay for you well, and on any topic. And, and it's interesting because I know we have to think about stuff like that. So many of us think, well, that's cheating. That's getting something that we, again, our society moves to where we have the helpers. That's that's kind of like saying someone driving a car when it was invented. Well, that's cheating. What about your horse and buggy? You know, why would that, you know, it, it, it's, it's progress. Things change. So it's very interesting to think about it. Or like you said, John, it got you so excited because you're able to stop and rethink how this is a benefit to so many areas of society as opposed to a negative. Did you come up with any negative Um, well, the, the, I guess the negative would be potentially the impact on, on people's jobs and livelihoods. Right. Um, the example I gave before about the web page and code that I was talking with a web developer and she wanted to know what that code would look like. And so I showed it to her and she was blown away because she wants to focus on doing graphic stuff. So now she doesn't have to hire a web person. She can just get the AI to do it for her. Wow. So there's a shift there, right? And that's just one example of probably thousands. And I just keep seeing every day on social media, people finding other interesting uses for this technology. And the really kind of freaky part about this is 
this particular version of the software that we're using that's available for free right now, if you just, if you just Google chat GPT, uh, it'll come up with a link and you can try it yourself. Um, the, the models that they're using are from 2021. They're not even using the latest wow. versions of the software publicly. Incredible. You can only imagine how much better it is now because everyone's using it on the 2021 models and training it on what's right and what's wrong. You can actually give it feedback it's like, well, you know, I didn't quite like that business plan. You need to change this thing, and it'll rewrite it for you. Wow. And, and react just like that and do it. Uh, speed must be incredible because, as you mentioned, what if this thing was something that could replace Google or if Google decided we're going to buy this thing because this is coming after us? Yeah. I mean, you, you also have to think Google's probably working on something similar. They just haven't revealed sure. it yet. Wow. That's really phenomenal. And when you think about it that way, John, you think about what what is ahead. What what is this going to look like? This horizon, uh, since we're just on the frontier. Well, it's funny you mentioned frontier. This just feels like Star Trek to me. I mean, yeah. in in the TV show, they would just talk to a computer, not unlike us talking to our smart assistants, and ask it something. And the conversational way that they were able to ask it and get a result is here now. Wow, and it so is. John, as usual, interesting stuff, and I'm absolutely blown away by the excitement you have about it when you really put it into perspective, look at some of the things, the perspective that it can give us, uh, and again, always having to figure out, okay, what's the negative impact, but when the positives can outweigh and help so many people in different ways and let a lot of us accomplish stuff, you know, you can't have help say win-win. Uh, sir, always appreciate you being with us on the Fridays. We look forward to talking to you in the new year and having you with us uh, when Kelly and Rumya hits the air. Can't wait. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. John Beeler joins us on Fridays as we get into conversations about apps and so much more always right here on Kelly and Company. Uh, we're going to step aside for a couple of moments, folks. Uh, we hope you'll stick around with us. Vancouver Content Development Specialist Sophie will be sharing some really great news about a new provincial employment programming uh, program that is going to be offering support to low vision and blind individuals. Stay tuned. Up next, that conversation. Remember, check out AMI-audio right from your TV. SaskTel Customers Guides, look for us on channel 555. And Shaw Cable, channel 825. Visit ami.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. Brock Richardson's with me. I'm Kelly McDonald. It's time to check in with our regional content development specialist. Today, we venture all the way to Vancouver and we chat with Sylvie Fouquet. Sylvie, how are you? Hi, Brock. Um, happy to be here with you and Kelly on this very important milestone mm -hmm. of Kelly & Co. I'm doing great. Awesome. Yes, we are. Uh, it's a pleasure to be joined by all the people we get to be joined by as they we're a part of the journey we got to be on. You included into that. You've got well, two. And, and Sylvie and I can mess around here because in the sense of Six years, one month and a half. 
That sounds young, okay? But for Sylvie and I, being the longtime employees of the company, if we sit here and say 1,462 episodes, that number's a lot bigger than the years we've been here. Makes yeah. us sound young. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah. It sounds so momentous. And thank you, Sylvie. Well, congratulations. It's been a ride and quite exciting for the next chapter, Kelly. Yeah, I think it's it's wonderful to be able to put it that way. And and like I said at the top of the show, I think the trickiest is, folks, we're, we're, we're moving forward. You're with us. Things stay the same. As much as, as I said a while ago, things change, they shall stay the same. They will for sure. Um, but lots of um, exciting opportunities and um, on TV as well. So congratulations. You've uh, brought the two good topics, but the first one is that the BC provincial government announced new funding to support those who are blind and or partially sighted with access in- to employment uh, program. Fill us in on the details. I love this. Yeah, Brock, this is a real great news story or a really good um, opportunity here for people to listen to this. In Canada, the unemployment rate for people who are legally blind is three times the national rate due to systemic societal and attitudinal barriers. So as BC pushes forward building the province's accessible act, the government is awarding the CNIB with a $2.5 million grant to expand its employment programs dedicated to blind and partially sighted people living in this region. The Secretary for Accessibility stated, we're working with valued community partners like CNIB to support people with disabilities and to break down long-standing barriers to employment. And the CNIB's provincial director commented that this important investment will help CNIB expand its Come to Work program to ensure people who are blind or partially sighted have the necessary skills to transition into the world of work. Yeah, I think um, the the thing when we look at uh, unemployment rates, especially for those who are blind uh, and partially sighted, it's it's almost sort of scary to think that that number is where it is. And and you know, uh, you know, we always talk about it being that these individuals, as anyone, deserve employment too. But in order to help expand uh, resources and abilities, you need money. Uh, to make these initiatives and to help CNIB sort of grow and and help with this, it's it's helpful and I it's good to see that um, th- this investment is being made because again I think everybody deserves employment and employment opportunities because I for one Sylvie hate the oh because you you you're blind or or low vision you are a liability I I just think that is the easiest answer and it's the cop out answer when we all have the same skills just like anybody else. And so I love this totally. Absolutely. And, you know, the the fear of, oh, no, I'm going to have to ha- make too many accommodations for this individual due to partial sightedness or being blind. It is a cop out. It just there really isn't that much you're going to have to do. There may be some things, but it's minimal the investment on what the return is going to be to you. So over the next three years, the provincial investment will assist job seekers who are living with 
um, who are blind or partially sighted prepare for employment with supports through the job readiness workshops available and um, training. And then the CNIB will engage with employers to help dispel common myths about hiring people living with uh, sight loss and to open the doors to this pool of educated and motivated job seekers. And then a very important target will be matching job seekers with mentors from all employment sectors following their pre-employment skills training. The other thing too that you don't want to see necessarily with this and, and some of this can be, you know, helped with some of the people that are going to be in the jobs supporting through the process because we don't want to be the, the poster individual of like, look who we hired. We hired this individual who's blind and partially sighted and the thing we see them do is, is you know, uh, the, the minute jobs. You want to see somebody there for their skill and for their talent versus look what we did. We painted, we got this big giant poster that, you know, goes from ceiling to floor and we don't want to see that either. So it's a, it's a fine line we have to walk, Sylvie, with, with this kind of thing. So this is a great investment for sure. Yeah, so true. Um, don't want that tokenism or this is like, as you said, poster child. It That's completely defeating the purpose of um, getting skilled, uh, talented talented individuals into the right fit or the right employment opportunities. So very, very important. Yeah, I love the idea of also if one employer learns about it, let's take some of that money, spread the word. So employers have a reason to be educated over the subject matter. We're all, I think that becomes, if we can get in the door, get into the office and have them listen to the first few things we talk about instead of, I've got this blind person here. What am I going to do with them? And that's not an issue because, well, I'm aware lots of blind people have full education, uh, could qualify for this job and could work where we have people knowing this applies to me, my company, because I know there are people out there, low vision blind, looking for work and who study in this field or why shouldn't they be able to? I think it's that education thing that has to come at people without being a hammer or only at the moment of, oh, I have an opportunity. What, what can I find online about this? So uh, really wonderful to see money being set out and recognizing how in jeopardy this community of people are because of the unemployment. Uh, let's switch to Christmas a little bit here. A Northern yes. BC college has been transformed into a winter wonderland of Christmas trees, Sylvie, and one particular tree stands out. Sylvie, tell us why. Yes, so the College of New Caledonia in northern BC, Prince George, the college has a gathering place and annually they hold a festive Christmas tree display. And there's one tree that really stands out from the others for its powerful message. So a group of students chose to forego the traditional evergreen in order to create their invisible tree, which is designed to raise awareness for those living with invisible disabilities. Students collaborated with instructors to create the spiral design with precise measurements and teamwork and commitment to perfection. I'll try to describe this. It's a really wonderful. The stunning spiral display features 80 red and gold ornaments suspended 
by fishing line to create the invisible effect, completed by an illuminated star at the top of the tree, the base of the display features a statue with ribbons cascading out of its head. Each ribbon represents the invisible barriers people may face, including depression, autism, hearing loss, and learning disabilities. What an incredible piece of art, and that's what it darn well is, um, with, a, with an incredible message, Sylvie. And I, I think when people are creating stuff, and, and, um, and I don't know if it's a better effect because of the time of year or when you associate it, maybe let's take it away from Christmas, with, with um, some kind of a festive, festive thing to say, this is an example, this is a work of art, this speaks to the, the season, the event, whatever, uh, in a way that people say, look how beautiful. And I get those ties you're showing me, those hidden, those invisible barriers that are put out there. It makes sense. I don't know if it helps us learn it more or just feel more comfortable with taking that in and saying, yeah, I get your point. Yeah, the awareness piece again, Kelly, is sometimes it's, just by being present in that environment or hearing about this and then reading further to understand that these particular students want to break down the barriers and have that awareness and um, opportunity to share that important message. You're not alone. And this is, we, we see you this is, this is something where, we're going to work to create this beautiful piece of art with meaning. We all know that we have to be in the right frame of mind to take anything in, ready to do so. And and whether we're distracted or busy and, and, and just can't, that right moment comes. And sometimes it comes at a time of the year where you're most open to suggestion to hear things because your heart is more open. And Sylvia, I think that the, this is a great example of that. What a wonderful, what a wonderful tree to, to describe to us. Thank you for that description too, by the way. No problem at all, Kelly. I'm, I'm very pleased. I just quickly, a nod to this program. It, it for, it's called the job education training program or JET for short. And again, it's a program helping students with barriers increase their employable skills. For over 35 years, they've been building relationships with businesses, classroom preparation and um, placements within the community for these students. So very, very good program in the North that's bringing awareness um, to invisible disabilities and others. Sylvie, uh, thank you so much for this uh, great stuff, but also uh, thank you so much for all of your contributions to this program and the Regional Content Development Specialist in general. You guys do a lot of great work and we appreciate it. Thanks so much for that, Brock. I really, um, again, um, just want to say what a fantastic program. I'm really looking forward to Kelly and Ramya in the new year, and I urge everybody to tune in and watch. It's going to be great. Yes, I agree. Thank you so much, Sylvie. We appreciate it. That was Sylvie Fouquet 
who is our regional content development specialist from Vancouver. One more hour of Kelly and Company ahead, ladies and gentlemen. There have been over 3 billion checkouts from the Overdrive library since 2010. Ryan Huey will tell us more about the platform. Uh, we've got the uh, chatty bookshelf, uh, which he'll have all that info for us later on. We recap and comment on a few segments from the past week on Cut for Time. But up next, Margaret Weldon returns with the Friday Buzz. Remember, as we're in hiatus over the next few weeks, you can still get Kelly and Company content. We'll be running a bunch of repeat segments. It's all being put together. So in case you maybe have missed some of the content from the last couple of months, hey, fear not. You got a couple of weeks ahead of you here where there's lots of that great content being replayed during our showtime as we do all the getting ourselves together and TV testing they can throw at us. Wherever you're listening in around the world, appreciate you being with us. Maybe you're over there at AMI.ca, streaming AMI-audio right from the website or TuneIn Radio or Radio Player Canada app. Any way that you consume the program live from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern or one of the repeats starting at uh, uh, 10 p.m. Eastern time, for an example, uh, we appreciate you being with us here on Kelly and Company to bring us the Friday edition of The Buzz. Welcome back, Megs. I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> Where are we starting? Okay, let's start with talking about the famous movie called A Christmas Story. And I think this movie must be at least 24, 25 now. I'm not sure. But anyways, um, when the, story, when the uh, movie came out, there was uh, a, a fan who lived in Cleveland, and apparently this is where this, um, the setting for this movie took place, was Cleveland, Tremont, Cleveland to be exact. And um, he was quite a fan of the show. So when the property um, that, uh, where the movie took place went on the market, he purchased it. His name is Brian Jones, and, and Mr. Jones purchased it. Now, it doesn't say how much he purchased the property for, but what it does talk about is how um, for the last, now the article says 20 years, uh, not this article, but I did do some research and it said for the last 20 years anyways, um, Mr. Jones has entertained a number of visitors who came on the property to see the iconic house and the candy store. Now, Mr. Jones is looking to sell the place, but he says that he is screening for qualified buyers because his belief is that, number one, he wants the property to go to somebody who is just as big of a fan of the movie as he is. <laughs> and number course. two, yeah, and number two, he um, feels that there is still so much more that could be done with the property, like adding a BB gun range, for example. That's just one of the ideas that was met. <laughs> now, Mr. Jones did not list a price. So what happened was when um, he was being interviewed for this story by a reporter from Variety magazine, the reporter asked him, you know, well, when you say you're qualifying, what do you mean by qualifying? And, you know, you haven't put a list price about how much you're selling the property for. And he said, well, no. He said, number one, just because I, I put a list, you know, just because somebody comes along and makes a big offer doesn't mean that they're necessarily right for the business. He said, I want to make sure that somebody is going to respect this property and treat it well. And I want to make sure that somebody is going to consider some of my future ideas but the twist of this is, um, is is that this property is considered a heritage landmark. So whoever buys it wouldn't be able to make any renovations without the city's permission. 
The reporter gave an impromptu offer of $4 million to Brian Jones, and they said, would you take that price? And Mr. Jones said, no, not even close. So I guess if anybody out there decides to buy the property and, um, you know, finds the right price, and, and, dis- and if Mr. Jones decides that uh, you're the right fit, maybe you could give one of us, give somebody at AMI a call, and who knows, maybe we could get out there and do an actual uh, screening for <laughs> on the property for the Kelly & Company show. What do you think? It's it's interesting because this isn't the first time I've heard, you know, um, properties that are being sold. And, and I mean, we're talking about a, a movie uh, in this case, but it's kind of cool to realize that it's not all about the money in life. It's it's about the integrity. And Mr. Jones, in this case, is very, very clear. It's about I want to make sure that they're going to keep it that way. Now, as you mentioned, they're going to have to because it's a heritage property, which is a plus. But if it wasn't, he has the right to be able to sell it to who he wants. And somebody could walk up and say, I'll give you, you know, double that or even triple that. That may not be enough for them, Margaret, because they want the property to remain the same. And I like that. Most of the time people are like, oh, I have nothing to do with the house. So you do what you want with it. Now, Brock, if you had a chance to buy this property, would you keep it the same, or would you would you or would, would you do with it? I think, based upon the the iconic nature of the movie, I think I would. I think, in the case of of this particular case, you said it was around you know twenty four, twenty five years old. I think it's it's been around long enough that the iconic piece of it would be enough for me to keep it the way that I would want to. Would I like to make some additions if I could? Sure, but the integrity of the bones of the house is something that I would want to keep uh, in, in standing. Right. How about you, Kelly? What would you do if you got it? I'm not... Um, it's not one of those movies that I'm like, oh, wow, over. But uh, to me, you've got to. It's, that's the, why else would I have the property um would i want to share that with people if it was not going to disturb me my privacy that kind of thing find a way that people could also enjoy it uh, especially young people when the movie's introduced to them because family after family would do so i'd love to see it as a real family experience in any way that i could do it uh, that was affordable to me to be able to do i i don't want to change it but you know you want people to be able to come and enjoy themselves and yeah if you can profit a little bit on it but i think for me it's the benefit of this is something how many times do you see something on, on in a movie or whatever and you just would love to go there and just the actual feel again sometimes it ruins <laughs> what you hope of it but yeah i think margaret definitely to me you got to keep it the same and certainly i would Right, right. I, I, I think I would try to keep it the same. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, you know, but the only thing is, too, I, I, I think my one concern would be, okay, so how, how often am I going to let tourists come on, and, and exactly. how often can I say no? You know, they're, they're, I don't want them because of privacy issues for, you know, a few days that here or there. That would be my thing, too. I mean, maybe you have seasons with it, and maybe that's mm-hmm. the only way you could do it. Maybe you do it only around Christmas, you know, or, or from November to, you know, January the 5th or something like that, and you have that experience. Or you put up lights or something so different, but people still get the feel and get to see uh, what they remember. Uh, what there are also some, there are also some situations though where you can do the replica and it to me just has the same kind of feel but it's a little bit gimmicky in the same point and the thing I'm talking about is the friends experience in Toronto Mississauga whatever it is 
it's right. you have the feel, but it's not the same. And so because it's not the set, you, you kind of there's a point to which are you watering this down? In yes. this case, you're talking yeah. about the set verse and you're not watering it down. But when you're trying to make the the thing look like the thing, it's not you can run the risk of watering it down. And I think for the Toronto purposes, sorry for anyone that loves friends, but I think they've watered this down because it's not the actual set. Right. What you end up yeah. doing is basically just saying, Hey, come on in. Here's your ticket. Line up guys. Wait, here's the big moment. And it's one prop, you know, one prop from the show. Um, and yeah, what right. else do you have for us? Okay. So let's talk about, um, and, and actually, I, I, this story grabbed me, and I'm going to explain why in a second. Let's talk about um, Prince William and Princess Kate Middleton to um, their, their visit to Boston last week. Now, it all began on, uh, on November the 30th when, uh, Prince, when uh, William and Kate got to attend a Celtics game with the Boston's governor-elect Maura um, with Boston's government-elect, and uh, it didn't really show them at the game. It kind of showed them, you know, kind of going into the game and that kind of thing. And then the next day, they actually were bundled up, and it showed them on Boston shore talking with the mayor, Michelle Wu, about climate-controlled issues. And it talked about how Princess Kate, or how Kate Middleton, and that's how they called her in this article, Kate Middleton, um, spoke with a young boy who was dressed up as a guard. After, you know, after talking with the mayor. And finally, the third day, um, they, talked with, they talked about how Prince William got to meet with Joe Biden in the John F. Kennedy Library Museum. And I, I don't know exactly what they talked about because that was never mentioned. And uh, Kate got to go and uh, visit the Roca organization. But when they were finished there, they attended the, a, a big environmental ceremony called Earthshot, where they um, got to meet with stars like Catherine O'Hara and David Beckham and others, and uh, they got to talk about, I guess, some climate control and some things they'd like to do to see how, you know, to see the environment take some positive changes. I think what really grabbed me about this story is, you know, whenever in the past you heard about somebody royal coming, um, for example, when, when uh, King Charles was Prince Charles and he was married to Princess Diana, you never heard her referred to as Diana Spencer. You, it was either Prince Charles and Princess Diana. Um, you never heard about ta- them stopping to talk to people, right, whereas you do William and Kate. And you never got to it. So to me, it just seems that I, I think they're trying to change. And I think it seems to me here they're really looking at, at trying to lean towards getting to know the public, not just in uh, England or Britain, but also around the world, too. So I kind of thought today this story was an interesting one just because of that fact. And oh, I, I had some of the they pictures were also ag- They were also acknowledging, a, uh, they were also giving an, uh, an award, if my memory serves me correct. But I, I think, Margaret, with the work they're trying to do, you've got to have conversations with people. You've got to do just a bit more than those photo ops sometimes. And... I think sometimes, depending on where they are in places and groups of people, we don't see some of those moments. They're not exciting enough for the media sometimes, seeing them talk to a young boy or somebody like that and just hearing what that person has to say. As as we found out after the Queen passed, all the stories that people were coming out with, the couple of moments she took to talk to them, look them in the eye and do so. Right, right. 
And finally today, I'm just going to talk about a Canadian initiative quickly that got started during the pandemic. And uh, this one is called Sending Sunshine. And this was started by a group of five young people during the pandemic. I guess it's two years ago now almost. Uh, when they real when they heard about seniors being lonely in long-term care homes because they couldn't get visits from their friends and relatives, and of course they had to stay in their rooms and that. So what they did, they started sending out greeting cards to patients in long-term care homes that were in their area. This initiative has gotten so big, and the requests from long-term care home staff members, as well as friends and family of these patients, is growing. I think now they've sold over, they, they've sent out over 22,000 cards in a number of uh, countries and territories, and now they've started a GoFundMe page where all of the materials or the proceeds will go towards, you know, preparing the cards as well as uh, sending them out. And it's a, it has a positive effect on seniors because at least this way, you know, they, they feel that somebody does care about them. Now, if anybody wants to learn more about Sending Sunshine, or I think they're even looking for volunteers to even help make cards too, um, you can visit sendingsunshine.ca and their model is, um, you know, care for one, you know, one senior, one card at a time. Make a Absolutely. senior's day one card at a time. Wonderful. Thanks, Megs. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for filling in for Bill on the Buzz. That was the last edition of the Buzz here on Kelly and Company Audio Show version, the Chatty Bookshelf. We get into that with Ryan Huey after this. Seen and Heard is a podcast. Let me go back there, folks. Seen and Not Heard is a podcast series being heard on AMI-audio December 17th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Carolyn Minx is the author and star of this podcast series. The fictional story is about a young woman, young woman named Bette who lost a significant amount of her hearing in her late teens and, of course, is adjusting to life with a disability. From her struggles with romance, her parents... Uh, learning ASL, and dealing with day-to-day life. Seen and Not Heard offers us a glimpse into her life. Following the presentation of the series, check up Jacob Shemansky's interview with Caroline Minx. Seen and Not Heard on AMI-audio, Saturday, December 17th at 11 a.m. Eastern. Kelly McDonald with Brock Richardson. We often uh, discuss uh, staples on any given day of the week here on Kelly and Company, and one of the staples is uh, Friday with the Chatty Bookshelf with uh, Ryan Huey. And today we're going to chat all things Christmas as it is fast approaching, hopefully holiday-themed audiobooks will get you in the holiday mood. And I have no doubt of this, Ryan. Hello and welcome to the program. Hey guys, thanks for having me. That's great to be back. So what do you have that finds you having interest this week? 
interested there's a lot of interesting stories obviously no shortage on twitter or things like that on social media but i wanted to remind everybody you know if you're not in the holiday mood yet there are tons of sales that sort of start right about now we got the 12 days of christmas kind of coming up on audible and some of the other major retailers so audiobooks.com things like that so please do check it out because it'll definitely get you in the mood uh, if you're looking for some holiday fun and there's some really interesting ones that aren't traditional takes on uh, Christmas or on the holidays. So if you're looking for something a little bit strange and wacky and way out there, that's definitely the place to go. But mm. a lot of a lot of retailers and things uh, this time of year, they release their end of the year stats. You know, how, how many books did you listen to? How many hours of reading did you do? How many books did we sell? Those sorts of things. But one is taking it a little bit step further and it's not even a retailer. It's one of the library apps out there. A really big one is Overdrive, and in conjunction with that is the Libby Library app, which the Toronto Public Library and some others in Canada use. This is really cool because since 2010, through ebook and audiobook rentals, the boroughs have hit $3 billion now for Overdrive, which is crazy. That's such a huge number, and I can't see it slowing down, but I just wanted to let you guys know, you know, keep using that app. Keep borrowing if you're not an Audible or an Audiobooks.com person. Keep borrowing out there because they're definitely starting to notice, especially with numbers like that. <clears throat> what did you call my name? Um, it's amazing, sir, <laughs> since, you know, I, I'm a big fan of the uh, borrowing, reading, and enjoying that way since I would never even know remotely where to start if I was going to buy a book. Um <laughs> When I first started, you know, getting for the library, it was in audio, you know, physical talking books, um, whether they be on, well, they were cassettes then, then, then of course, CDs. And then when uh, Overdrive and Libby subsequently were available to use, I'm going to tell you, it goes back to what we keep saying about a lifetime and your culture. Because for me, when I see this staggering number, I'm thinking, wow, that many print restricted people are using it and i have to remember this is open to everyone to use now ryan and i don't think about it that way being a staunch user of sila yourselves being uh people who go in and buy the audiobooks from audible and that, I, I don't know if it caught you where you felt the same way where like oh my goodness well yes it's a, it's a general use for a lot more than just uh quote print restricted unquote Interesting, because when I first read it, I had to get Jaws to reread it three, four, maybe even five times. So I'm like, wait, three billion? And my mind went to, okay, so the print disabled, what are they, getting 100 books at a time of every person? And then I realized, too, like, hey, this is really mainstream. And I know we say that all the time now, but sometimes you forget when you hear these these stats. So I was really, really intrigued with with the amount of of uh, shares and, and borrows that mm. are being uh, taken, you know, out of the app. But what's really cool is that, you know, authors, publishers, narrators, they're starting to notice too. So again, we spoke about this last week and for the yep. last few weeks, it's, you know, it's not so much, Hey, buy my book. Like let's get the content out there, no matter how it is, even if it's someone borrowing it and not physically paying for it, I believe there's some, some kickback there and Hey, the, the more people that listen, the, the better. Well, and Ryan, I really love the fact that even myself as a person who's so used to what I'm used to stops and has to realize where before I felt these people I know out there at school, at work, they know nothing about an audio book. And now I have to do the shift of saying, of course they do. 
just like podcast, just like listening to audio. You know, I could have talked to people 20 years ago about enjoying a great audio program from a radio station, and their response was, oh, well, that's nice. Anything else, sir, stories-wise, that are making waves this week? Really awesome. So one of my favorite authors, Karen McManus, back at it again. So she has written two New York Times bestsellers with over a million copies sold of each of them. Wow. Uh, this is the Bayview High series, the One of Us is Lying and One of Us is Neck. Well, she's third and final trip down uh, the Bayview High lane in 2023 and it's already topping charts they just released information on it this past week and opened the pre-sales and they're skyrocketing so this one's going to be really cool i'm already a huge fan but you guys got to check it out because the narration on these are full cast and they're amazing uh it's been made into a 12 episode uh hulu television series which is really popular as well and it's just it seems to to keep on going and the story in all in both of the books is great, so I can't imagine that this one wouldn't be. It's going to be a, a, a wild and very thrilling ride. And is there anything else that's sort of particularly special about this third installment? So it's it, what's really awesome is that in the first installment, we have our main characters that there's a, the Bayview Five, they're called, and they sort of were scarcely in the second book as a new air quotes Bayview 5 came in so maybe the the 6 through 10 right uh but what what is awesome is that she's already said that all five of the main characters from the first book play a huge role in the sec or in the third book so this is going to be a trip down memory lane plus the five characters from the second book are also a huge role have huge roles in the the third book as well so i can't i mean with 10 people that have all kind of I, I guess been through what what those have uh, those have been through at that high school. I, I it's going to be unbelievable, and nobody has really figured out the game. It's really cool as her uh, Karen McManus's publishing team or or marketing team, they've sort of started a contest on Twitter and social media. If you can guess what the air quotes game within the book is, uh, you you win a, a huge prize pack, uh, and it's quite extravagant because the. Uh, you know, it, it's it's. I guess it's going to be quite unique. This game that they're speaking mm -hmm. about, right. and the the some of the guesses are are pretty wild. But I don't think anyone's got it yet because I feel like this would be news that is just blowing up her social media. And I haven't seen anything in a few days about it, other than like, hey, this one's a good guess, but nope, sorry, you're wrong. <laughs> really cool. Uh, and they've uh, it's actually been uh, featured in Cosmo magazine. So the media hype is huge around this. They did a whole two page story on it in Cosmo. Uh, and uh, they've actually released a snippet from chapter. I believe it's just random. It's not like the start of the chapter or the end of the chapter. And uh, it definitely caught my attention. There's about I'm going Jaws here, so it might be a little bit less or a little bit more, but there's about 25 lines, and uh, I read through it a couple times, and I'm very interested. Hmm. Very nice. Um, what else do we know? The release date is sometime in July, so I believe it's July 25th of uh, 2023, and right now uh, Audible has said their pre-sales that started on Tuesday have already topped the 100,000 mark, so she might even sell a million copies before it comes out in July because we got a few months before that. Uh, it's going to be a really great ride. There's all those characters and it's going to be a full cast. I hope they kind of have the full cast or, you know, 
if not everybody, close to everybody from the first book because the, the narration was so well done. Uh, and this is one of those books that sort of has the break of music in between each chapter, which is kind of nice. It signals the end and the beginning of a chapter so you can kind of know when to end or when to kind of shut it off, if you can, um, you know, for bedtime. That's really wonderful. Um, you know, I, I, I sit here when you when we always open with you, we get talking about little news. And this is, of course, some wonderful news to, to hear uh, all the things you've brought with us. But you mentioned like the, the 12 days of Christmas, all the sales, of course, to ramp up getting people in there. And, and sales are, are no stranger to the holiday season. This is the time to have them pre and and post. But when you start looking at just some of the madness, the craziness and those stats and things that you, you talk about, Ryan, um, I'm sure now that we've done this for over six years on the program, uh, you just see every year as you relook at, I don't want to say the same information, but yeah, the same information, those stats, the growth must be tremendous to you from now going all the way back. The thing that shocks me is that they can continue to do the same things year in and year out, 12 days of Christmas, uh, audiobook month, this or that, and it, it does. It just the growth is is unbelievable. They don't even really need to dare I say try. They don't even have to introduce something new. But when they do, like the March Madness brackets, that mm. that goes crazy as well. So it, it's you know it's it's sort of a win win that they keep just doing more and more or continue to do the same things. And people, kids, audiobook uh, consumers, they just love it. And that's what really is great is the audiobook community is so engaged. Uh, they're so into tweeting on social media or uh, posting on social media, and they really have given authors and publishers kind of more of a platform to share things, share news. It's not just, hey, my book is being released on Jul in July 2023, and that was sort of all it was back in the day. Now there's discussions, there's guessing, there's fan fiction, there's people creating their own audiobooks, there's people rereading as they were the narrator, you know, some of their favorite lines and chapters. There's all kinds of stuff going on in the audiobook world. And I, I just, I love the community out there because they're just, hey, recommendations here or check out this new platform or here's something else going on or, you know, check out my fan art from uh, the first book. I This is what I think the character should look like. So it's, it's really, really engaging. Wow. Can you imagine yeah. how it's going to be? In the years to come, since we've been doing this and we've had those discussions about what well, it would be nice to be on one of these teams, putting together how you're going to promote this and that. But it's still for us with awards, with with narrators to push. They're getting everything involving audiobooks. Ryan is really, truly the wild, wild west still. You're absolutely. And I think the possibilities are, are endless. I think that they're just kind of scratching the surface because it seems that everything they introduce, like we said, is just new, innovative and very popular. So I, I can't wait to see what these retailers and what publishers come up with next and to see if the, you know, authors and narrators kind of get in the game because they do get codes and they give things away, but they're sort of just like, Hey, like, and retweet this for a chance to win. Whereas that's, I guess, case in point, don't really need to do anything new to, to get people to follow you. But I mean, if, if they really wanted to get creative, you know, you can, maybe you could start a virtual meet and greet, uh, if you win a contest or, or something like that, because I think it would be really cool to meet some of these narrators or, uh, authors in person, or if any are out there, you know, even listening to, to get them show to some new faces and some new voices. I just think when you look at the growth, when you look at this alone, when we're all sitting here and looking at the the amount of people that download audiobooks and we sit back and question, is that how many people need the books? And then we go, oh yeah, but there's a 
whole other population that's engaging. And that alone speaks to the growth in my mind with it all together. Ryan, thanks so much. Appreciate the time and uh, best of the season to you. And thanks so much for all your contributions to Kelly and Company. We look forward to the future. Take care, guys, and have a great weekend. That was Ryan Hui, who delivers the chatty bookshelf every Friday on the program. In a moment, we're going to recap and weigh in, uh, weigh in on some conversations from the past week on Cut for Time. Jeff Ryman, he'll join us to do so after this break on Kelly and Company. Remember when you have time, maybe you want to binge the show or just go back and listen to a favorite uh, contributor or a segment that you enjoyed or one of the community reporters may have a whole bunch of things you want to just go back and listen through again. Do it using the Kelly and Company podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. That platform will take you over to our show where you can listen to it in segment form or the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience. We've had some great audio vanity cards. We put them on the full show uh, Kelly and Company uh, experience. So do check those out if you want to go back and catch up on the program over the next little while. Well, this segment is called Cut for Time. We welcome Jeff Ryman in, and uh, we're going to, each of us, go through something from the past week that we thought, wow, that's kind of cool. I'd like to say a little bit more about that subject. And guess what? We're going to do so now. Uh, on Monday's program, um, I thought it was great to speak to our community reporter in Ottawa, Kim Kilpatrick. She's here to talk about details on some events taking place for World Braille Day next month. Oh, I'm just seeing if we have that. Our World Bra- Braille Day discussion. Well, Kelly, I want to tell you about the event that I'm helping with because it's who I'm most excited about. <laughs> but definitely so. World Braille Day is going to be coming up a month long of um, World Braille Day events in January. So the whole month of January, there'll be different workshops. And I put up the link. It's quite long, so I won't say it as to how to register for these events and um, and how to partake in them. But the one that I'm helping with, uh, which I might not be a surprise to you, we've called a celebration, and it is on the 21st of January, a Saturday, where people submit um, entries about Braille, so songs or poems or recitations or little, little, um, uh, it has to be no longer than three minutes, little short stories, little Scenes about Braille. So, Kelly, if you do want to do it, you can come. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can submit them recorded. And then we're not going to perform them live. People are going to submit them recorded. And and um, Natalie Martiniello, who used to be president of BLC, and I are going to host that. And we are going to play as many as we can of these wonderful entries that, that celebrate Braille, our celebration. And I think it'll be. <laughs> I think it'll be great. It reminded me, folks, of our discussion with Lucia Belafonte um, at one point, I think in our last visit with her. And when I was learning Braille, um, I had received a Brailler before I actually even knew how to read any of it. It was great for practicing at home when the blind school said, hey, your large print reading is too slow. My parents had to have it explained to them. And you've got these parents who are really hoping to preserve as much of their son's vision as possible with the genetic disease. Well, fully knowing that doctors say eventually the disease will claim his eyes. But as parents at the time felt, 
and we're encouraged, keep them reading, keep them using their eyes, protect their eyes that way. And I remember having that discussion of we're going to switch Kelly over to Braille. We need to so that he can, he can move along, he can get his education, move into secondary education, and so on in life. And at the time, you know, we, we were just getting into computer use, starting that process, but still the thought that I'm going to need this Brailler and Braille to get me through. So when we get around to the celebration of Braille, and I think about that path that was so difficult for me to accept and take, but even more so for my parents who felt, are we being good parents? He's got to try to keep his vision. But them having that knowledge that he also has to survive going forward in life. And when the vision isn't there, he has to have the fallback way of getting that education, getting, keeping his work and jobs. This is a time before those folks could even imagine what this computer here could do for me. So it really brings it back every year in January when I think about it because of how hard it was to learn it, being a student who I'd rather not learn it, but I still for sure had to do so when it comes to it, Jeff. It was it was something. I'm sure you've been through that as someone who's colorblind and, and had to kind of make those adaptations. No, for sure. I mean, for, for being colorblind, I would have to rely on other people to give me the right pencil crayon or whatever, or just looking at the, uh, you know, the, the, the label in which the uh, crayon or pencil crayon or marker had, um, you know, it was pretty simple, but um, at the same time, it was a little bit difficult when you color the ocean purple in uh, grade one kind of raises some red flags, but also <laughs> Kells, I almost want to take this one step further. And as somebody who is able-bodied, um, I almost wish that Braille was an option in high school electives. Like, we all know that French is part of the curriculum here in Canada as it's our second language. But I wish that there were more options to take. I mean, there was Spanish, there was German, and I'm sure there's a couple others depending on which high school you went to. But looking back at it, I wish Braille was an option to take, um, mm. or, or maybe some Even sort of sign, right? Even sign sign language. language. That's that's the that's the next one I wanted to get to. I think like you know, learning American sign language could go so far, um, you know, with, with with a bunch of different people. So, you know, my takeaways from that, you know, for me, I was like, ah, I don't want to do French. I don't want to learn another language. But in hindsight, Kelly, like it was like, oh, I wish those options were there. I wish it was part of the curriculum. Give us Braille and give us ASL. I think it could go a long way. Absolutely fantastic when you think about that, which makes me, Brock, think about your totally deaf football team you spoke about the other day. Yes, 100%. And Jeff, you were coloring lakes purple while I wasn't even coloring in the lines with my <laughs> dexterity. So people wondered if I actually knew what I was doing when coloring. So there you go. For me, uh, what stuck out uh, this week was moving to Wednesday's show when Kelly and I were in studio. Uh, we had our In the Know segment with uh, Margaret Weldon this week. She talked about uh, the forgiveness project. Here's her discussing the forgiveness process. When you have a major issue that's gone on, like forgiving, it just doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. It, it takes time for the person to heal. It takes time for a person to understand why, or he, why he or she may have done what they've done or why something was done to a specific person. And before anything happens, they've got to learn to forgive themselves, right? But there are stages that you go through. 
some days you can be okay with maybe what the person's done, and then other days you can be really angry at, at maybe what was done to you or what you've done. Right. So it's a process that you go through, and it's a healing process to say, you know what, I'm okay. I, I'm going to be okay. It's going to take me some time, but I'm going to be okay, and I'm going to be able to put some closure on this. So, you know, even though you've maybe written down your stories, you still may have times where you're, you're going to be angry at, at something or other, you know, a, a part of an incident that's happened. And that's okay. And there's no right or wrong way to go through it. It's just like death, you know, when, when you accept a person's death, you go through stages. It's just, it's the same thing with forgiveness. Forgiveness, you, you, you go through stages of acceptance. And, and, and there's just no one way um, for any person to do it. It's not a, it's not a one solution fits all type deal. Forgiveness isn't always, for me, about forgiving a person. I struggle with forgiveness, and I'm going to give you two quick examples. The first example that I'm going to give you is I struggle with forgiveness for the life that I was put in. Um, You know, growing up, I I would always watch kids do things that I simply couldn't. Kids could run around the playground and, and do things, and there was two, three-year-old Brock in, in preschool and kindergarten who was sitting in the corner propped up so that he wouldn't fall over left, right, or or forward. And the fact is, is that in life, at, at those moments, you wonder, what is it going to be? What is life going to be? And as I grew up and went through school, I had a real trouble with forgiving teachers who would tell me that you're not going to amount to anything because going to work requires uh, going places and, and relying on accessible transportation isn't something you can rely on and you won't be able to make the money you can make to sustain a household. Your wife, your girlfriend is going to have to be the heavy lifter and you know, you're just going to have to sit on social assistance. And for me, that was a tough thing. You know, I was told in high school, he's never going to be able to go to co-op because you know, uh, you, you're going to have to, you can't go with an EA and you rely so heavily on an EA. And I, I, I'm here to say that I would like to go through those teachers that I will not name, of course, and, and say to them, are you listening to what I'm doing currently? Because I'm proud to say that, and this is no disrespect to my wife whatsoever, but I'm proud to say in today's world, I'm the breadwinner and I'm the reason why our household is being held up and I pay the bills and she helps with that, but I'm giving her the ability to live the life she wants to. And I am not living on social assistance solely. And so what I'd like to say to those teachers is look at me now because you never thought I'd be there, Kelly. You know, it's interesting, Brock, because I mentioned about having to learn Braille, having to be able to, you know, do something that helped move me forward. But as a, I guess, 11-year-old, uh, kid, you don't really understand that. You have no idea why. I, I'm fine. I read just just finally in large print. Why do I have to fall behind? Why do I have to take those times to go to a room on the far side of the library, out of class time with my friends to learn these dots? And there was a time where I was very resentful, um, and I really didn't realize to a few years later how much school time it took, how it put me behind not having the Braille, having to take the time. And you do get a little resentful. However, now as my vision has become almost nothing, I recognize those, those moments and say, hey, you know, you have to forgive because look what it's helped 
you do in moving forward in life. Look how you've been put in a prepared situation for the position that, that you are now in. Man, my brailler sits there collecting dust, but it's a different time and no one could predict that. But I have it and can use it and quite well and keep it always tuned up to go, Jeff. Yeah. And um, I'll, I'll just keep this pretty short and sweet for, for myself. And there's this saying, and I'm sure a bunch of people have heard it before, but we use it a lot in my family, is forgive but never forget. And I feel like that is a, sort of a motto that oh. I, I live by. Your um, family knew my mother. <laughs> um, and the reason why I say that is because I forgive the Maple Leafs every single year, but I do not forget what they've done to here, me in the here. playoffs. <laughs> uh, I guess that's kind of a segue onto uh, my clip. And on Thursday's program, we, sp we spoke with Sportsnet hockey analyst and friend of the show, Sam Cosentino. He spoke about the upcoming World Junior Tournament. Here he is touching on the importance of experienced players playing in this tourney. By proxy, typically the NHL teams have a pretty good idea in which role the player is going to play before releasing that player because, hey, you know, if you're the Seattle Kraken, you're in a playoff position, and while they haven't used Shane a lot, they also don't want him to take a step backwards and, and not be used a lot there either. They, if, You know, if he wasn't going to be used a lot in either case, they'd rather not use him a lot in the National Hockey League, if that makes any sense to you. So I, I think by proxy of that, I'd probably have a pretty prominent role as a number one or two center. Um, and remember he's reunited with a couple of guys, one in particular, Brennan Hoffman, who he's had a boatload of success with going back to his minor hockey days. I don't know about you guys, but this year's team for the Canadian world juniors is shaping up to be one of potentially one of the best we've seen in 10, 15 years. And Sam spoke about the importance of getting those players that are currently in the NHL and getting them to play in this World Juniors tournament. He mentioned Shane Wright. He mentioned Brendan Ottoman. Uh, Brant Clark uh, is also being re released by the LA Kings. And obviously, there's a, a couple of others that have already played in this tournament last year, I guess, in the summer. So that's just sort of adding to all of this. And then, of course, you have Connor Bedard. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know where to start with this kid. He's basically putting up the same numbers as Connor McDavid did in his draft year. So really looking forward to seeing what he can do at this year's tournament. And uh, yeah, uh, like just the, the 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 list goes on and on about, you know, some of these players and what they've been able to do at the junior level or even in the pros to yeah. a certain extent. So I don't know about you guys, but this team could be really, really fun to watch. Yeah, nice historical team. Brock, mm -hmm. did you guys reflect that? You felt that with Sam? Yes, uh, this team is going to be one dangerous, dangerous team, and, and it's going to be good. And it's funny because he predicted um, uh, Finland would be back in final with Canada on uh, another network as well. So Always love it. That'll be wonderful. If uh, Jeffy, first of all, thank you very much for everything you do with the show, and uh, we will be talking to you on the other side in the new year. My pleasure, guys. Have a good one. Thanks, Jeff, and the best of the season. Brock, uh, of course, thank you for everything you do joining us here on the program. Wonderful uh, discussions that we've had the privilege to have this week. It's been great having you along with me. 
100%. And again, I echo the uh, privilege and the fact that I was here to, from the beginning of the week to the end. And I look forward to listening now to see how you and Ramia land the Kelly and Company plane and then preview Kelly and Ramia moving forward. Uh, we will do that following the break, ladies and gentlemen, as Ramya Muthan joins us uh, here. And we wrap up episode 1,462 of Kelly and Company. Welcome back to Kelly and Company. Ramya Muthan joining me. So on January the 9th, we begin uh, Kelly and Ramya. Before that, on December 23rd, we have the Kelly and Company Christmas show beginning at 2 p.m. Eastern time. You're privy to, of course, all, all the stuff being sent in and what's happening. Um, I want to say that probably to sum it up, you'd give such a thumbs up on it. Oh, my God. Double, quadruple thumbs up. Because, like you said, I get to listen to the submissions, the stories, the singing, the uh, jokes, everything, all the vibes as they come in. So for me, whenever we started getting those Christmas holiday submissions for our holiday show, Kels, I feel that Christmas spirit has been in me since then. It's fantastic. And I really encourage everybody who's whether you've been following along and listening every year to our holiday shows or not it is an absolute treat so the 23rd 2 p.m eastern time settle in for our regular kelly and company slot because that will be the first airing of our christmas show okay something for everyone um as we wrap up kelly and company uh we were talking before this is episode 1462 down, ladies and gentlemen, uh, do listen via the podcast. You can check out repeats of programming uh, until we come back to you here on AMI-audio, available as a podcast and on AMI-tv as of January 9th. But we've been talking about all the things we have to do to get ready. TV testing is what lays next for us starting on Monday, where we run with the new control room staff. We say welcome to all of those folks. A whole bunch of tests from you. What are some of the things you are concerned about? I mean, I sit back and say, oh, gosh, I got to remember about that weird days look I have on my face while I'm trying to check and listen to emails, listen to the show at the same time. I don't really want to share that dazed look with everybody on TV. So I am conscious of that yeah. and trying to weed that out. You? It's totally different when we call each other out on it, but nobody can actually tell. Um, whereas on TV, yeah, definitely people will be able to tell. And a lot of my... Um, quirks or things that I'm nervous about on that level are visual things, Kel. So you talk about that day's look. For me, I have very significant good and bad lighting days. So you know, I probably, you can tell if based on my face, the what's squint. going on. Yeah, the squint, the um, I'm just not focusing anymore or the rapid blinking or oh. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. awful too. You'll get All a headache from that above. too. Oh, I know man. all of the above. So bad lighting days, you'll be able to tell from my end. So I'm happy to be able to wear on TV the fedoras. Everybody hears me say mm -hmm. fedoras off to you and that kind of thing. Uh, but literally, folks, likely I probably won't pull the fedora off during the show because unfortunately, depending on the temperature in the room, you don't need to see the river of uh, <laughs> perspiration that starts 
dripping Ugh. down. Not fun, no, not cute. Uh, so it'll stay most likely on the head or there'll be those shows where maybe it won't be there. But I've got nice powder and stuff that off, they're giving me. You can like wipe your head real quick. Real yeah. quick. But like long as I know head. the camera's yeah. not on us and oh my goodness, <laughs> knowing the camera's not on me and just, oh, I think I'm good here. <laughs> look at him wiping his bald head. Ah! Well, look forward to all that. Anything else for you? Uh, the last one's obviously a classic. Um, I carry a lot of water around me, sometimes tea, maybe another drink. I don't know. But I am terrified that that will be seen. I knock something over. It doesn't even have to be liquid. It could be whatever, my laptop, but just to overreach uh, or underreach and something's going to go flying and I'm not going to be able to hide it. I've AMI, been able to uh, hide it on audio. Am I won't mind because, you know, with working at home... <laughs> As long as it's below the yeah. camera line, they won't mind. Well, the, good luck on the on the break cleaning it up. Um, before we depart, uh, here a final uh, moment of uh, Kelly and company. Uh, anything you wish to say? I want to say thank you to all listeners, everyone who leaves any kind of feedback for our ears and for our show. It has been an absolute pleasure. Just got to my five-year mark um, at AMI, and it has been such a ride, a fantastic one so far. It's only going to get better, obviously, as we continue to go on AMI-TV and simulcast to AMI-audio. But I really appreciate everybody from our team to our listeners to all the people who've come and gone um, on the show. Everybody's left their mark in one way or another, and I'm so glad that we're continuing to um, remark these moments. I, for myself, folks, need to say thank you as well to so many people who put their faith in what we could do as a show, who came to me and said, we want this kind of a show. We want a couple of hosts that are low vision and blind to be able to do it. We want to set a bar. We want contributors to come to the show that make you feel like a family and make everyone listening feel a part of it. That's where the emphasis of company comes in. And we know the company, you folks out there, will be with us. We know that that's the way this show is done. Everybody's one. We sit around, we chat, we laugh together, cry together. It is what makes up the program. And we may be changing the name to Kelly and Ramya, but we're here. You're here. The team's here. We've added some new people to the team and things get a little bit bigger with the lights of television on us. But it's the same show. And how do I know that for sure, ladies and gentlemen? Because it's all we know how to do. And we want you to be a part of it. We want you to continue to enjoy it. Feed us your thoughts, your comments, and run with us as we leave Chapter 1 here and move into Chapter 2 uh, here on, the, on, on what we do on AMI-audio as a podcast and in uh, January the 9th as a TV show. We are obediently yours. We thank you so much for being with us. And thank you for the support of Kelly and Company to all out there. Thank our technician today, uh, Eliza Rocco, for taking care of things. Producers for the show, Jeff Ryman, reporter Grant Hardy, Ramya Muthan, Marianne Dion Jones, our visual producer, Jeff Ryman, senior producer, Matt Agnew, live production manager, Paula Deneen, manager of AMI-audio, and a really big thanks to Andy for all his support, Andy Frank. Fill-in hosts this week, of course, Brock Richardson, Danielle McLaughlin, hosts of the show, Ramya Muthan, and yours truly, Kelly McDonald. And, folks, the real stars of the program, as far as we're concerned, you listeners. The best and talk to you on January 9th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Look forward to hearing from you down the road. See you on TV. Listen to you here 
with us on AMI-audio and via the podcast, folks. Now, do me a favor. The gateway to the weekend's open. Get out of here, will ya? Well, folks, we have reached that time. We've completed the run of Kelly and Company, moving on to Kelly and Rumya as of January the 9th. So I have some housekeeping that I want to share. One, when the show begins on the 9th, we are keeping Kelly and Company format. It will be the same show, different name. We're just rebranding it for obvious reasons. Uh, With my co-host and myself doing the show, it just makes sense. Uh, as for the TV portion, some of you may say, oh, a TV show, especially those of us in the low vision or blind community. Guys, keep in mind, we put up a podcast and we are simulcast on audio. So any concerns of, well, am I going to miss things? Well, our intent is to make sure with two blind hosts that that doesn't happen, that you feel just as comfortable. And for those of you who choose only to use the podcast or AMI audio or the TV, that you're covered. And we'll want that feedback at any point if you feel you're not, or if we're doing what works for you, we'd love to know as well. I don't feel we're trying something different in the sense of, oh boy, let's see if we can make our show format fit. We're we're a radio show, through and through. And we are bringing it to television to get to another audience that may not know us yet in any capacity. So we're looking forward to meeting those people. However, what this show is, its characteristics, the content, has to stay the same it's imperative and we know with you as our support system that will be what happens you will hold us accountable we will hold ourselves accountable to that because in all honesty folks it's all we know how to do so when the show changes over and hopefully you won't find too much else to keep yourself occupied at the regular time you listen to our show and consume it um, that you will remember us in the new year and be right back with us as we file back into your homes, into your life, and continue doing day-to-day from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. Kelly and Ramya, uh, of course, obediently yours and available to you. Um, on behalf of all the people who make up the show, it has just been a joy and a pleasure for us to evolve the show into what it is now with your support. For the newcomers that are joining our team and this process, they seem excited and anxious to also be a part of coming into your homes. Fedora's off to everyone and welcome as we move on to chapter two. We'll put a pause on it, reminding you to join us for the Christmas show on the 23rd of December. We're going to go into testing now. We'll miss you. Talk to you on the 9th. Best of the season. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.